Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the evening service of Friday the 19th of February 2010, entitled, God Forbid That I Should Glory. And the Bible reading is taken from Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. Here's Brother Brian Beaver. As Pastor Larry said, this has been the eighth year, and I praise God for the time that we have been able to, to share together. And we've been able to laugh together, cry together. It's just been an encouraging time for me. I thank God for young people, and uh, I appreciate you uh, being here, taking time out of your schedule. I know this is half term for most of you, and to be here um, blesses my heart. And I want to be a help to you. I want you to know that uh, I stay over the weekend. I don't go anywhere. I stay right up there in the upper room with the other young man. You can turn me down just a little bit. And... I don't go anywhere, and the reason I don't is because I want to be approachable. I want you to know that I'm not one of these preachers that's kind of hit and run. They'll just kind of hit you, and then you can't find them after the service. I want to be a preacher that's approachable, and if you need anything, uh, you can come to me and talk, and uh, most of you, I can't wait to talk to you a little bit more after uh, the service. Now that we haven't seen each other in probably a year, I guess, and, and the ones that I haven't met, I'll get to know you a whole lot better. So Galatians chapter number 6, I want you to look at verse number 14. Galatians chapter number 6, verse number 14. I want to start out the meeting this weekend with a thought that's in our text. I want you to look at what Paul told the church in Galatia. He said, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. You say, preacher, why would uh, the Apostle Paul say that? Well, let me build up, and I want you to take your Bible and go back to chapter number 1, and I want you to look at verse number 18. I want to start, and I want to read a few things right there. Chapter number 1, and look at verse number 18. On my way over here two years ago, I was reading a a magazine, and the article uh, said this. It said, winners are driven by desire. Winners are driven by desire. I've been reading a book Uh, for the last three months, Pastor Russ, and in that book it says every major leader has come under some dynamic truth that has dominated their thinking. Now, I thought about those two statements, and in my mind immediately went to the Apostle Paul. Was the Apostle Paul a winner? Absolutely. In Acts chapter number 20 and verse number 24, young people, he came to a, a group, a gathering of men, a council in Ephesus, and he said, none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself that I may finish my course with joy and the ministry have I received by the Lord Jesus to preach the gospel of the grace of God. He said, you know what? I have a task. And my task, I'm going to finish it with joy. I'm going to do it with a smile on my face. And I'm not going to be a victim. I'm going to be a victor through Him. He said, listen, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 9 and verse 16, he said this, he said, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. He said, you know what? I'm not just spinning my wheels and doing a little bit of activity for God. He said, I've got a purpose in life. And folks, we know this in the last swan song of Paul to the uh, preacher boy Timothy, he wrote in 2 Timothy chapter number 4 verse 7, he said, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, preacher, but unto all them also that love is appearing. How many of you are ready to see Jesus? You better be. 
Because what we see in the newspaper and what we watch on TV shows me and tells me that we're getting very close for the King Jesus to come back. You better be ready. That's the reason why we have it, don't we, Tyler? That's the reason why we want to have this youth conference, is to come together. You know what the Bible says about fellowship? Iron sharpens iron. Do you know in order to sharpen one another, you've got to get close to one another? Iron ain't going to sharpen each other. I know that's bad English. Iron ain't. Forgive me. I speak American, not English, all right? Iron, in order for it to sharpen one another, has to get close to one another. And guess what happens when that gets close? Sometimes it creates friction. But I know this, that the Scripture says, even in the book we're reading from, it says, it says, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know what? You're sitting right beside of somebody tonight, young person, who you don't know what's going on in their life, but I can guarantee you they're hurting and they need somebody to talk to. And if you're going to just keep them at an arm's distance and not get close, you're not going to be used effectively in the hand of God the way you could be if you'll get close to your friends. There's somebody here this weekend that needs your encouragement. That's why I come. I want to be an encouragement to you. I want to be a help to you. That's why this preacher and this church, thank God for Bethel Free Baptist Church and the people here, Peter, that, listen, opens their heart and their arms and says, not hands off, but arms around. I like people like that. Folks, listen, Paul was a winner. He was a winner. And I can contend to you that he was telling the church at Galatia, if you want to be a winner and not a wimp, if you want to be a soldier and not a sissy, you're going to have to just pull your boots up and you're going to have to get in this fight because it ain't going to be easy, but there's a reward waiting for you at the end of the road. I want you to look at chapter number 1, verse 18. In verse number 18, it says, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem. This is Paul talking to the church to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. But other the apostles saw I none, save James the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. Look at verse number 23. But they had heard of me only. They had only heard of him. They had not seen him face to face. But they, preacher, had heard only that he which persecuted the church, in, uh, uh, persecuted us in times past, now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed. And look at verse number 24. And they glorify God in me. Say that with me, those six words. And they glorified God in me. Let's say it again. And they glorified God in me. Those six words could change your life this weekend, young person. They glorified God in me. See, some had not met Him, but they had heard how God changed Him, and they were giving God the glory. Some of them even met Him, preacher, and they had saw the transformation, and they were giving God the glory. Can I ask you something tonight? Have you ever asked yourself, what is glorifying God? What is glorifying God? That's what I want to talk about tonight is the glory of God. God forbid that I should glory, saving the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, I want you to look at the definition of glory. Somebody said, well, I think your dress ought to glorify God. Can I get an amen right there? Yeah, well, I'll amen myself now. I think your speech ought to glorify God. I think your conduct ought to glorify God. I think your life ought to glorify God. I think your walk ought to glorify God. But you say, preacher, what is glorifying God? What is the glory of God? Well, I'm going to simplify it for you. The simple definition of the glory of God is this. All that God is and all that God does put on display. 
All that God is and all that God does put on display. You say, preacher, what do you mean? We know that God is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, merciful, loving, kind, holy, just. That, if, listen, when you define God, you develop a thought process about God and then that therein glorifies Him. Folks, the glory of God is all that God is, Panos, and all that God does put on display. The first time the word glory is used is in Exodus chapter number 16, verse 7. It says, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. Well, how do you see somebody that's invisible? Well, Psalm chapter number 19, verse 1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. Listen, folks, when we look up into the sky, and it's blue, well, you don't see much blue sky around here in February. But when we look up in the sky and it's blue, we don't worship the sky. That's pantheism. What we do is we worship the Savior that made the sky. The sign of royalty in the Bible is the color blue because we serve a royal God. When we look up in the sky and we see the clouds, there's a lot of them in England. When we see the clouds, we don't worship a cloud, but we worship the Christ that made the cloud. Because we, listen, white in the Bible is a color of purity and we serve a pure God. See, folks, everything that God's done, everything that He is, listen, is put on display and that there in and of itself is the glory of God. The Old Testament word's used 400 times. Old Testament word means this in the, in the Hebrew language. It means heavy or weight. So let's define it down. Let's kind of simplify it down. All that God is and all that God does is put on display and it weighs heavy on us. And we get an English word called impact. It impacts us. It impacts our thinking. Well, the New Testament word for glory is a word that means opinion. Okay, let's simplify it down. Let's define it this way. All that God is, all that God does should so impact us that in every day and in every way we should give the right opinion of who He is to a lost and dying world. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? Because, folks, I contend to you that there are people out there that want to see a sermon more than they want to hear you preach one. And they're watching you. They're friends that go to college with you and school with you and university, and they're watching your life. And are you glorifying God? All that God is, all that God does, put on display. You say, well, preacher, why would you even give the definition? Why does God do that? Why should we give Him glory? You want to know why? I'm going to tell you why. I'm glad you asked. The reason we should glorify God is because that's why He made you. He made you. Listen to me, mom. Listen to me, dad, teenager, young person. He didn't make you for you. He made you for Him. He made you for Him. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 29 says, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Let Listen, I'm here to tell you folks that we got to get a hold of this concept that we ought to give a right opinion of who He is everywhere we go, whether we're in Tesco, whether we're at university, whether we're at a, uh, a convenience store picking up and, and filling our car up with petrol. Whatever it is, we ought to give the right opinion of who He is. The definition of the glory of God, all that God is, all that God does, put on display should so impact us, Tyler, that we give the right opinion of Him to a lost world. Paul said this, and they glorified God. Look at verse number 24 of chapter number 1 again. And they glorified God in me. The Bible says, given to the Lord the glory due His name. Give it. Folks, can I say this? That's not an option, it's an obligation. You don't have no options in this thing. 
Give unto the Lord, that's an imperative, give a command, give unto the Lord the glory to His name. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we've got a real problem, though, in our lives, and it's called sin. Let me say it again. We've got a big problem in our lives, and it's called sin. Say that word with me, sin. Say it again, sin. Now, you were politically incorrect right there, but you were biblically correct. People don't want to talk about sin no more. Oh, we got... You know, it ain't... Listen, God didn't say it was an alternative lifestyle. He said it was an abominable lifestyle. And I didn't say that. God did. God didn't call it substance abuse. He called it being a drunkard. And I didn't say that. God did. But I'm so thankful that we serve a God that hates sin but loves sinners. Hallelujah to His name. Ladies and gentlemen, we got a problem. You say, what's sin mean? It means to miss the mark, to fall short. Romans 3.23, most of you know that, right? This is yes, this is no. You know Romans 3.23? For all, what's all mean? Y'all bunch of theologians in here, and you just got it right. All means all. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. Hey, listen, folks, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. We're born into it. David said in Psalm 51 verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me we got a problem with sin. I heard somebody say, well, you know what? I'll take care of that sin. I'll go to church. Well, whoopee. You're in church and you're a sinner. I heard somebody say, well, I'll, I'll be a Baptist. Well, you're a Baptist sinner. Well, I'll get baptized. Well, you're a wet Baptist sinner. All right? Well, I'll go and I'll read my Bible. I'll pray and I'll study. Well, now you're an intelligent wet Baptist sinner. But you're a sinner just the same. And you need a Savior. If you're in this room tonight, let me tell you something, folks. The only way you can give God glory is to have the righteousness of God imputed to you. You can't, as an unrighteous person, give God glory. So what does that mean? 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse 21, he said, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we, preacher, might be made the righteousness of God in him. You know what God did the day he saved me, Hannah? He took every bit of wickedness and unrighteousness that was on my account. He put it to His account. The King of glory. And He took every bit of spotless, righteous, holy character that He had. And Peter, He put it to my account. And can I say this? Gone, gone, gone. All my sins are gone. Y'all ain't here. Amen, preacher. I'm telling you, that's good preaching. I like it. Y'all looking at me like, like a, you know how you whistle and a dog goes. <laughs> hey, I see Dino back here, brother. Good to see you. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I just I ain't seen you in a while. Um, he took all of his righteousness and put it to my account. And the scores of sins that were on the page that God had put down in my life. Listen. He, one day when I repented and bowed my knee and bowed my heart, you know what he stamped across that page in crimson red letters? The word forgiven. And I've been forgiven. Folks, the only way you're ever going to get past this thing and you're going to give God glory is, listen, you're going to have to be redeemed and have the righteousness of God imputed to your life. Revelation 21, 27 says this, that nothing, listen to me and look at me, nothing will enter heaven that will defile it. Say, well, preacher, what's that mean? That means if you die the way you're born, you'll go straight to hell. Now, that ain't popular, but I ain't preaching for popularity. I'm preaching for the Prince of Peace. 
If you die, listen to me, young people from here to the back row. I don't know who's here today. I don't know where, what your spiritual condition is. But if you've come to this meeting and you've never repented, I didn't ask you if you was a church member. I didn't ask you what church you went to. I'm not asking you if you went so far to be baptized or you've taken a Lord's Supper or you've done some good works. I'm asking you today, have you repented of your sins? Turn to Jesus Christ. Because if you die the way you're born, you will spend eternity in a Christless place called hell. But I got good news for you. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, But God commended His love toward us and that while we were yet what? Sinners. Christ died for us. And can I say this? You cannot replace the blood with death. His death did not save me. I'm thankful He died for me, but His death didn't save me. You say, preacher, I don't believe it. Well, look at verse number 9 of Romans 5. The next verse says, Much more than being justified by His blood. Well, preacher, all I hear is blood, 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 blood. You've got a slaughterhouse religion, yeah, and if you're going to go to heaven, you'll have it too. You're going to have to be washed. You're going to have to be cleansed from your sin. Because folks, this ain't a person in here. And all the you could go a year and not break one of the commandments in the Bible, and you could still stand before God, and He'd sentence you to a Christless eternity in hell because none of your works, none of your righteousness will ever get you to stand before the King of Kings. You've got to be imputed. You've got to have it declared to you. And the only way you can do that is through the shed blood of my Savior. Well, preacher, I'll just tell you, you're just a little bit fired up about it. I don't understand. You know what? I want everybody in this room to be in heaven with me. Everybody. But more importantly than that, preacher Russ, God does. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. By the way, let me just run a little rabbit, okay? I love dogs. Y'all like dogs? When I went, I love my dog. I, I got a little feist. It's like a little Jack Russell. It's real timid and real male. You know, man, that thing bounces off the walls. I mean, it's absolute most hyper dog I've ever had in my life. But I used to have some black Labrador retrievers. Well, Pastor Larry, when I went to get my Labrador retrievers, the lady about five miles down the road told me, she said, we've got some lab puppies and I want you to come and you can pick out whatever ones you want. Well, I went and picked the puppies out. Well, when we went over there to look at them, there was about 12 in the litter. When I went to the gate, I knelt down and brother, I didn't do this. I didn't go, that puppy right there and that puppy right there are beautiful. I want those two. But the other 10, I could care less whether they freeze, whether they die, I don't care. I didn't do that. You know what I did? I got to the gate, Pastor, and I went, hey guys, Come here. I called all of them, but guess what? The two that I took home with me, Pastor Russ, are the ones that came to me. Let me tell you something from here to the back row. God just didn't die for a few. He died for all. And God calls all. But only some come. You know, the greatest fact in the Bible is God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the sad reality is, Panos, not all will be saved. Maybe you're in this room today, and you know what? You're not here by accident. God's got you here on divine appointment. And I don't know where you're at spiritually, but if you're not saved today, let me tell you something. You'll never be able to glorify God until you have the righteousness of God imputed to your life. We've looked at the definition of glory. All that God is, all that God does, put on display, Steve. But I want to look at the demonstration of glory. The demonstration of God's glory. There's a lot of ways that you can demonstrate and show God and give God the glory, but I want to talk about two real quick. Two very simple points. Number one, one of the best ways that you can glorify God is number one, with the conversion of your life. Let me say it again. With the conversion of your life. 
Look down at verse number 23 again in our text in chapter number 1, and we'll go back to chapter number 6 in a minute. Paul said, but they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past, that's before salvation, now preacheth the faith which, which once he destroyed. That's after salvation. So let me tell you something, folks. Paul, let me give you a little background about Paul. Paul, before conversion, say that word with me, conversion. Say it again, conversion. You better get that in your brain housing group and get it in there well. Conversion. Paul was converted on the road to Damascus. But before that, he was a Pharisee. Let me tell you what the Pharisees did. They, they, they fasted two days a week. They tithed 10% of everything they had. And they had Scripture sewn into their, uh, their, uh, their garments. Let me ask, has anybody in here done that this week? Didn't think so. But do you know what? Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. But he was religious, but he wasn't righteous. See, you know what I love about our Savior? When he looks at me, Penos, he don't look at me in my sin. He looks at me through his son. When he looks at me, he don't see my wretchedness. He sees his son's righteousness. And folks, listen to me. Paul was a man who had to get drastically, radically changed, converted on the road to Damascus. I want to stay, say a statement. You say it with me. When Christ comes, things change. Say it again. When Christ comes, things change. When Christ comes, things change. I believe that. See, you're not converted based on what you've done for Him. You're converted based on what He did for you. See, Matthew chapter number 18, His disciples came to Him and said, You know what? We want to know who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And He said He called a little child into the midst of them, in the middle of them, set Him in the middle of them. And He said, I want to give you a class lesson right here. He said... Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I want all of you to look at me. You're not converted based upon what you've done for him. You're converted based upon what he did for you. All this activity sometimes, I believe, is just covering up a bigger problem. And that problem is you need to be saved. You say, preacher, why would you preach this the first message? Because you know what? Tired of people at the end of a service raising their hand, they're not sure they're going to go to heaven. If God saved you, He gave you the victory, and He said, we're more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Now, what you looking at? Are you looking at your righteousness, or are you looking at His righteousness? Now, folks, I want to ask you something. The best way that you could ever, ever glorify God is, number one, the conversion of your life. It happened to Paul. Has it happened to you? There's a guy in our town, his name's Danny. I won't give his last name. But Danny, back probably 35 years ago, was the roughest guy in our town. Wilmington, North Carolina, 100,000, 150,000 people. Roughest guy in our town. Brother, there were times when he would get in fights at a bar, he would go home drunk, and I can remember hearing this story about him. He had gotten into a domestic altercation with his wife. The cops were called. When he got there, there was a preacher that she called too. He got there at the same time. When the preacher was there, he tried to talk to him. Danny hit the preacher right in the mouth, about knocked him out. The cops took him off in handcuffs. The preacher went to the jail, paid the bond, paid the bail off, got him out of jail, took him home, sobered him up, gave him the gospel for about two weeks, and he led that boy to Calvary. He led him to Jesus Christ. Can I tell you something today? That Danny is one of the most faithful members in one of the largest churches in Wilmington, North Carolina. He drives the bus and picks up kids. He was a deacon. He's led song services for the little kids. And do you know what? Danny's life is a demonstration of the glory of God. 
because he was changed. Do you know what? Not everybody's changed drastically, but everybody is changed definitely. When Christ comes, things change. Now, you know what? Not all of us in this room have a dramatic story about change, but you know what? Every one of you have been changed definitely if Jesus showed up. See, I knew a guy one time who was a reprobate, hard-headed, irresponsible, knucklehead. <laughs> Where God found this guy in a trash bin, running from the law. You know how I know him so well? Because it was me. You know what, Panos, when Christ comes, things change. That maniac of Gadara, you know what? He was filled with two, they say at least maybe 2,000 demons, legion. I mean, two, probably 2,000 demons. But when Christ showed up, hey, before God changed him and before Christ touched him, he was a new dude in a rude mood. I mean, he was bad off. But do you know what? When he got saved and God changed him, Pastor Russ, he was in his right mind and he was sitting there clothed and he went back and told everybody what Jesus did for him. You know what? When Christ comes, things change. One of the greatest demonstrations of the glory of God is, a, listen, the conversion of your life. The conversion of your life. But number two, not only the conversion of your life, but the confession of your Lord. Paul went from persecuting the church and now preached the, preached the same gospel that once he tried to destroy Listen, the way that you glorify God, young people, is number one, you, can, you, you, you ask that God change you. You have a converted life. The conversion of your life will speak louder than anything else. Number two, the confession of your Lord. The confession of your Lord. Do you confess Him before men? Psalm chapter number 9 verse 1 says, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be, be, rejoice and be glad in thee. I will sing praise unto thy name, O thou most high. Psalm 89 verse 1 says, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. Hallelujah. Proverbs chapter number 11 verse 30 says, The fruit of the tree is righteousness, and they that win a souls is what? Wise. Daniel chapter number 12 verse 3 says, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. I'm not asking you if you've got a lot of friends and y'all got a lot in common. I'm asking you if you ever told them about Jesus. I'll tell you how you glorify God, young people. You have a converted life, but number two, you confess your Lord before men. But before you can confess Him in service, you've got to confess Him in salvation. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteous, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. When is the last time you opened your mouth up and you spoke to somebody that if they died and took their last breath tonight would spend forever separated not only from you but from God because they're not saved. The confession of your Lord. Her name was Crystal, Steve. I met her back about eight years ago. She was ten years of age. She came to me on a Wednesday night and she said, Preacher, I want you to do me a favor. She said, My dad's got some connections with the principal of the schoolmaster of the school that I go to. She says, It's a middle school. Sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. She said, I want to know if you would, if I can get you in there, would you preach to our student body? I went... Now, you have to understand something, folks. For a preacher to go into a public school and preach the gospel is rare, even in America. You can't do that. You might offend somebody. Well, I don't care. She said, if you can get me... She said, if I can get you in there, would you come? I said, as the Pope Catholic, of course I'll come. Of course I'll come. 
Well, guess what? The next morning she called me. She said, if you can be here at 11 o'clock, I've got an assembly ready for you. Almost 100 kids. I got up and I preached heaven sweet and hell hot. I preached Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. And do you know what happened? When I gave the invitation and I asked for a raise of hands, who wouldn't say? 47 hands went up. Of those 47, 35 walked down in front of all their schoolmates and walked down and I prayed with all 35 of them around me and they accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Let me tell you something. It wasn't nothing that I did. It was that little 10-year-old girl who had been witnessing to her schoolmates for almost three years. You want to know how you glorify God? Number one, you have a converted life, but number two, you confess your Lord. You confess your Lord. We've looked at the definition of glory. We've looked at the demonstration of glory, but I want to talk just for a few minutes about the deterioration of glory. The deterioration of glory. Look back at our text in Galatians chapter number 6. Look at verse number 14. Paul said, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Now I want you to think about this with me, young people. We as God's servants, we as His children, ought to reflect Jesus Christ, not detract from Him. We are to be reflectors of Jesus Christ to Him. We are not to detract any glory from Him. So let me tell you something. I will be honest with you tonight as I can be. I've watched it because I've been a youth pastor of almost 400 kids over the last 10, 12 years. I'm here to tell you that I know what will detract from God's glory, and it's three things. Number one, do not glory in your abilities. Let me say that again. Do not glory in your abilities. All it does is detract from the King of kings and Lord of lords. When you get up and sing a song... And somebody comes and pats you on the back and said, Man, I'll tell you, that's the best song I ever heard sung in my life. You say, God forbid that I should glory, saving the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you glory in your abilities? Let me tell you something. Most of you in here has got more ability in your pinky finger than most of your friends around you, but yet you won't use it. Because you're scared somebody might get a little snicker when you sing a song because you won't hit the note right. You know what? Who cares? As long as he's pleased, that's all that really matters, right? I mean, what's wrong with us? If you want to detract from God's glory and deteriorate it, number one, you glory in your abilities. I promise you, it displeases God. I read a story, Michael, about a young lady probably four or five years ago in Florida. She was a state diving champion. She did platform diving off into a pool. She got a scholarship to one of the major universities in Florida. She came in third in the national championships in the United States of America three years ago. But you know what the ironic thing about it is? The young lady had no arms. She was born without arms. But she was such a graceful diver. You know what? I know people that'll sit in a house and not do a thing for God because they get a little hurt in the church or somebody hurts their feelings, or they think God's dealt them a bad hand, and they won't do nothing, and they got far more ability than this young lady did, and she didn't even have any arms. When are you going to start growing up and be a mature Christian and not a baby and a kindergarten Christian the rest of your life? Listen, God is not glorified in your abilities. He's glorified in your availability. Don't glory in your ability, but number two, don't glory in your achievements. Don't glory in your achievements. You say, preacher, what do you mean? When somebody says, man, look at all they've done. Boy, look at our church and how much they've done in our church. 
You know, if somebody comes up to you, young person, and says that, you know what you need to say? You need to say, God forbid that I should glory, saving the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't glory in your abilities, but number two, don't glory in your achievements. I know a preacher right now, Tyler, that six years ago, he stood in a group of his peers and said, the world will hear from me. And do you know what? For about two years, he had a measure of success. Guy could preach, but do you know what? He fell into that trap of glorying in his own achievements and in his own abilities. And you know what happened? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And you don't fall much quicker than this young man did. He's out of the ministry today, got married almost four and a half years ago, fell into immorality. He's out of the ministry today because he thought he was all that. Young people, don't glory in your abilities. Don't glory in your achievements. Don't do it. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, nor the mighty man in his might, nor the rich man Tom in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. I want to ask you something tonight. How much and how bad do you want to know him that you wouldn't glory in anything but the cross of your Lord Jesus Christ? You don't want no glory. You don't want to pat on the back. Young people, I know what it's like. I was there one time. I know I don't have no hair, and I know I'm older, but I was a teenager once too. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to peer pressure. You know what? Don't worry about pleasing man. Worry about pleasing God. Don't glory in your abilities. Don't glory in your achievements. But number three, don't glory in your availability. How many times have I heard somebody say, Pastor, you know what? I'll never do that. You better be careful because you know what? You just did. <laughs> when you say I never, you just did. Don't glory in your availability. You say, you know what? What do you mean? You remember the apostle Peter? Peter looked at the Lord and he said, you know what, Lord? I love you and I'll never deny you. And Jesus said, you know what? Unfortunately, son, I know your heart. You're going to deny me tonight. Could you imagine the piercing eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ? But not only that, but the eyes of compassion. It says, I know what's going to happen. You know, the, you know why I know the Lord's so gracious and merciful, Peter? Because after he fell and he wept bitterly and came back to Jesus Christ and God used him mightily, he wanted to go back to fishing. He said, you know, I'm just going to go back to fishing. The Lord's gone, man. I'm, I'm just... And Jesus came to him and said, Peter, you, you love me more than these. Of course I do, Lord. He said, well, quit fishing and go back preaching. What's God speaking to you about tonight about stopping what you're doing and going back to where you were? You know that's what the word converted means in many instances in the New Testament? It means to go back from, go from where you are back to where you once were. But when thou art converted, he said, you know, Simon, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you that he might have you, he might have you the high, sift you as wheat. He said, but I prayed for you, your faith fell not. And when you are converted, well, Peter was already saved. What was he talking about? He said, Peter, go back to where you were. Don't be where you're at. Go back to where you were. Love me with all your heart. Don't glory in your availability. You say, preacher, what do you mean? I want to ask you a judgment day honest question right now. I want all of you to look at me. I know it's, I know it's been, going to be a long weekend, but I want you to look at me. I want you to think of the one place right now 
the one place on the face of the earth that you would never want God to send you if you were called into ministry. I want you to think about the one place. Right in your mind. Now, I want to ask you another question. If God did call you there, would you be willing to go? If not, then you ain't totally surrendered everything to Him. I've got a friend right now. You can close your Bibles. I've got a friend right now, Panos, who almost eight years ago bought a Ford F-150 truck, got in his truck, drove the length and breadth of our country from North Carolina all the way out to California. Took him about six and a half months to go from North Carolina to California because of, uh, along the way, he would stop, get little side jobs, he would preach a few churches, and he would get enough money that he could get to the next city. When he got to California, he sold his truck, bought a one-way ticket to the American Samoan Islands, one way, and he's over there today building churches and trying to do stuff to help the cause of Christ. And you know what? He bought a one-way ticket. He knew he wasn't coming back. Now let me ask you something. Don't you glory. We should not, Romani, glory in our abilities. We should not glory in our achievements. But we shouldn't glory in our availability. We should say, God, everything that I am, everything that I do, all that I speak about should make much of Jesus Christ. The songwriter put it this way. Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars I hear the rolling thunder, Thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. You want to give Him glory? All that He is and all that He does be put on display before this world. What about you? Do you glorify God? Paul said, and they glorified God in me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. As Miss Shelley makes her way to the piano tonight, nobody looking around. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Nobody looking, please. You're here tonight. You'd say, preacher, there's not a shadow of a doubt in my mind. There's not one ounce of doubt in my mind. I could take a Bible right now and I could show you how I know that I've got eternal life. I didn't ask you whether you were a church member, young person. I didn't ask you whether you were a good person. I didn't ask you whether or not you had ever been baptized, gone through catechism, or taken the Lord's Supper. I'm asking you tonight, are you saved? Have you been converted by the power of God? If you have and you could, 
and glorify His name and praise His name, you say, preacher, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven and I can raise my hand right now. Right now I can raise my hand. I know I'm born again and on my way to heaven. Once you put it up, you can put it down. Thank you. Is there somebody in this room that's Judgment Day honest enough to say, Preacher, you know what? I'm not sure. I'm really not sure whether or not I'm saved. I don't know if I died tonight, I'd go to heaven. But I want to, and I want you to pray for me. And you would say, Preacher, would you lift me up? I'm not going to point you out. I just want to lift up those that raise their hand in prayer. But you would say, Preacher, will you pray for me? I'm not saved, but I want to be. And I want you to pray for me. Just slip it up and then put it back down. Is there anybody like that? Anybody? Anybody? I want to pray for you. Please let me pray for you. Anybody like that? Anybody? Anybody? All right, one more question. The way you glorify God is the conversion of your life, but it's the confession of your Lord. You know, I bet you I'm talking to a young person right here tonight that you know what, your brothers or sisters or your mom or dad ain't even saved and you haven't talked to them about Jesus ever. There's somebody that you sit right beside of in the classroom that you'll go back to Monday that you know, you know that if they died, they'd have to spend an eternity separated from God. I'll tell you how you glorify Him is when you confess Him before men. I wonder if you'll say, Preach, you know what God spoke in my heart tonight? I don't want to glory in my abilities, my achievements, or my availability, but I want all the glory to go to Him, and I want you to pray that God give me deliverance and He'd give me boldness to glorify Him in every area of my life. You'd say, Preacher, pray for me. Hands all over. Hey, you can raise your hand with mine. God bless you. Hey, this preacher wants to do it too. Father, in Jesus' name, I commit every one of these needs into your hand. Lord, if there is somebody here that just kind of is indifferent, don't even care, Lord, I know that you care. They may not, but you do. Lord, help them to realize that you died for their sins. You don't want them to spend eternity separated from you. Demonstrate your great love to them this weekend. Lord, for those ones that just raised their hand, I pray that you'd give us, Lord, you'd give us boldness. You said the wicked flee. Proverbs 27, when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Help us to be bold when we speak out and bold in our stand when everybody else is bowing down in this world. We'll stand for you. We'll love you and praise you for what you do. As pastor comes right now, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Pastor's going to come and lead us in an invitation hymn. But young people, I want you to think about this. Is all that you are and all that you do put on display in such a way that it glorifies Him? Search your heart tonight. Thank you.